So my takeaway from that was Jesus doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to be available. And we get tripped up on that all the time, don't we? We think, well, I don't know if I could do a great job, or I don't know if I'm the right one. Or, and, you know, you read the Old Testament, and it's kind of like Moses and other people said, I'm not the, you, you have the wrong person. God says, no, I'm not looking for perfection. If I was looking for perfection, I wouldn't have picked you. <laughs> I'm looking for somebody who's available. So the question is, how available are you for what he wants to do in your life? And you may look back and you'll say, whoa, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect God to work in my life. Thank you so much for that. That was great. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment where you were, you were invited to a party, you were invited to a, an event, and you decided not to go? May, maybe a number of your friends were going, but you didn't go. And, you know, after the fact, maybe after the weekend, everybody got together and they were talking about this event. And you go, rats, I should have gone. It was a great event. I missed it. I I thought this was going to be better, that what I was doing was better, but it didn't really pan out to be very much of anything. I should have gone, right? So, over the years, I've done a lot of weddings and I've done a, a lot of funerals. Sometimes I, I will go to a funeral service for somebody from Hope that doesn't take place here uh, it, with his, within his faith community. And over the years, my, my, since I've been a pastor, we, Carol and I, my wife, have crashed funerals. Not on purpose. But we, we, I remember one in particular we went to a number of years ago and we had to go to this town, and we were going, we thought we were in the right place, and we, we were, of course, you're late. And we went in, and we sat down, and we were looking and saying, do you see anybody from the family? No, I don't. And there was no program or anything, so we didn't know. We sat there for a little while, and all of a sudden, we go, we're at the wrong funeral. So it's, it's, it's embarrassing to be at the wrong one because uh, there was no signage. There was no you know, sign that says this is the funeral for or whatever. And so, but we realized we're at the wrong place and we had to get to the right place. So that meant we had to leave. Little tip. <laughs> when you're at the wrong place, don't go way down front and sit way down front. Sit in the back. And then you could slip out and no one will notice. Now, some of you are thinking, Matt, where were you sitting? No, I wasn't down front, but it's just still a tip. We, we snuck out and we did get to the right funeral. And, uh, but that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> but it just reminded me of kind of how life goes, right? We're going to look, though, at a parable. We've been looking at parables that have kind of a twist, kind of a punch, kind of a unexpected, we didn't expect that. And that's kind of what Jesus was doing with a lot of his, his parables. And he told these stories, but they always had a principle. They always were, were written to address not only the people in his audience, but people like you and me this weekend. Whether it's this campus, whether it's Roshik, whether it's online, Wherever you are and you're hearing my words, God wants to speak to you this weekend. 
So the parable we're going to look at is the, the parable of the great wedding feast. And I think it has parallels, if it's not even speaking of, the great final messianic banquet. Uh, if you want, you could follow along with me. The Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. And I'm going to read uh, a little bit of that chapter, and you'll get a flavor for the parable that Jesus tells. It's kind of an interesting parable, and Jesus is doing a number of things in it, and it's very interesting as you follow along what he's doing. So Matthew 22, I'll start reading verse 1. Jesus told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the, ba- when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and the fatted cat have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor Now go to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servant brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without the wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So what are we to make of this parable? What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about the four different uh, people that Jesus kind of mentions that we encounter as we go through this parable, because it's kind of interesting as we see that. Uh, First one, uh, we see, uh, so how do, how, and, and I think it's a picture of how we respond to the gospel invitation. So what Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is coming. There's a, there's a kingdom coming. It's already here, but it's already coming. And so it's already, but not yet. So we're living in the kingdom of God, but it's not already fully, you know, displayed. And we could speak of that as the gospel is going out. The gospel invitation is going out. So what do we make of that? There's a number of groups. The first group, carelessly ignore the invitation. Now, again, this invitation isn't like uh, all of a sudden the invitation comes and they never heard about it. It was unexpected. The invitation had gone out a long time ago. They had heard it a long time ago. What he's saying now is it's time. The, 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 the feast that you were invited to now is happening. So you, the, the fatted calf has now been cooked. We're, we're ready. We're ready for you to come. Uh, so there was, a, there was messages that went out. So in Jesus' day, who would this have been? Well, it would have been speaking to probably the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, the, the, the scribes. And, and, and basically what Jesus is saying is, you had the message a long time ago. You had the prophets. You had John the Baptist. They, they brought the invitation. They told you the kingdom was coming. They told you the Messiah was coming. 
that, that I was coming. John, the forerunner, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We, we see the Lamb of God. We see the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. John says, He must increase, but I must decrease, right? And so uh, all these forerunners went before Jesus, blazing the trail. John was there to prepare the way for the Lord. And so the invitation has gone out. Now Jesus says, and now the banquet is ready, right now. But what were they doing? They were rejecting him, right? They, they were rejecting him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Um, they had more important things to do. So it wasn't a last-minute call. This, had, this call had gone out over the centuries, and now they're rejecting it still. The final invitation has gone out, and they ignore it. And they have, they have things to do. They have to buy a field. They have to do this. They're here. They're there. But everything else is more important. They downplay the invitation. People still do that today, don't they? They've heard the gospel. They've heard people talk about Jesus. They, they know who Jesus is. They know who God is. Um, but they have more pressing things to do. Uh, life is busy. And if they can find time to squeeze uh, Jesus in somewhere, maybe on the weekends, uh, maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe it's you. <laughs> right? Um, you... you, you you may be that person, uh, and, and maybe you're here at Kennedy Campus, or you're at Roshek, or you're watching online this weekend, and you basically come to a place where you realize that all you're really doing is you're fitting Jesus in on the weekend. Maybe you're fitting him in every now and then. Maybe you're fitting him in on Easter and Christmas, because, come on, every Christian has to go to church on those days. Maybe you're hedging your bets. You're saying, well, listen, what I need to do is I need to do enough so the big guy upstairs is satisfied. Because one day I know I'm going to have to stand before him and I want to make sure I have at least something. I have some type of track record. I have something. Um, I got to rack up as many points as I can. Uh, you know, uh, and maybe you're, that's your attitude about it because... Uh, the invitation has gone out, but really, in reality, you're like one of the followers that basically when Jesus says, come follow me, they made excuses. There's, there's a lot of things I have to do. I have a field I just bought. I have a family member that just died. I have money. You know, I have all these things. I have all these things that are pulling me. But a full-on commitment of everything that I have, that, that's not going to happen. Maybe someday... And maybe you're, you, you believe the lie that says, well, you have to clean your life up before you come to God. You can't come like you are. You can't do that. You have, you have to, to, to kind of turn your life around and then come to God. And I just want to say that's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says you come as you are. We'll see that a little more. So that's the first group. The first group are, are the people that they were invited. The invitation has gone out, but they've kind of found other things to do. They've kind of downplayed the invitation. They've kind of made excuses for not being part of it. But in the end, they, they don't attend the banquet. They don't engage into the kingdom. They don't respond to the gospel call. They don't respond to it. Well, what about the next group? Well, the next group is a little bit more, and, and, and it was just kind of like a little sentence because they, were, they, they didn't come. And then uh, some of the messengers that went out to kind of herald the the banquet was coming. The kingdom was coming. Some of them were beaten and, 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 and killed. 
Now, again, Jesus is talking again about the prophets that had come before him. And Jesus at one point said, I've sent prophets before you. What do you do? You stone them. You kill them. You destroy them. You don't listen to them. You don't follow them. You have nothing to do with them. And so some of the religious leaders sought not just to kill the prophets, but what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Now, understand, not all the Pharisees were bad. I mean, we, have, we know for a fact, if you read the Gospel of John, Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 at night. And he was what? A Pharisee. But he was one that was open to Jesus. And we know that le- later on, after the death of Jesus, he was one of the ones that came and helped to ter- take care of the body of Jesus. So there was a turn in his heart, right? So not all the Pharisees were bad, but many of them were. Um, so uh, many people in that day were against, and many of the religious leaders were against Jesus. They just wanted to put him to death. They just they did, wanted to destroy him. And there was a point, a turning point in Jesus' ministry where they decided, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to find a way. We're going to trip him up. We're going to do something. But we're going to bring him before the Romans, and we're going to allow the we're going to get the Romans to help us to put this guy to death. And remember, they brought Jesus before Pilate. And they brought him before the Roman rulers. And what did they do? They said, well, he did this and he did this. And and Pilate goes, well, that's religious law. I've got nothing to do with that. Did he break the Roman law? And what, what was the charge they made? Well, he claims to be the king. Well, there you go. That's still true today. There are people today that, that, that hate Jesus. They hate Christians too, by the way. Uh, but they hate Jesus. And, and there's just, have you met people like that? That you mention you're a Christian or they know you're a Christian. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or somebody you work with. And you just don't want to mention it because you know, they just, they're just really agitated and angry. And they just, you just go, don't want to bring it up because it's just going to lead to an argument. Jesus said something interesting along those lines. Um, John chapter 15, notice what he says. Jesus says, if you love me, if you follow me, some people are not going to like you. <laughs> They're going to hate you. And, and in verse 18 of John 15, he says this. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than a master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And, they had, and if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So Jesus says that some people, some Christians are going to be persecuted because they're followers of Jesus Christ. And we have today, as I'm speaking, brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted because they love God, because they follow Jesus. They're being persecuted, they're being put to death because of that. There are people today that are hostile towards Christianity. And the only thing that's going on there is they love God. And Jesus says this is... And Jesus is pointing to something else that's going on. Something that you may not be aware of uh, in your day-to-day life. And I want to stop and just talk about that for a minute. There are people today, and and part of of you maybe is thinking, well, why do they hate Jesus so much? Why do they hate me so much? I never did anything against them. I never said anything. 
Why is it that they're so hostile towards me? And what, it, what, what Jesus is saying is something, he uses this phrase, the world. They belong to the world. They're part of the world. And what does he mean by that? What Jesus is pointing out is that there's a system that is going on that's counter to the kingdom of God. He calls it the world. And many times there's a spiritual dimension to what is going on around us. Now, we don't often see it. We don't often, uh, I mean, it's not like we can experience it, but we know sometimes it's there. For instance, there's probably been times in your life where you've been in a group or with a person, and you said, there is evil right near me. There is something really bad right now around me. And you, you've experienced a spiritual moment where you said, there is something dark here, there's something evil here, there's something wrong here. And, and Paul speaks about that. Turn over for a moment to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Because what I want you to see, well, let me read the verses and then we'll just, I'll make a couple comments about it. <clears throat> Ephesians six ten, Paul says, a fi- now this is at the end of Paul's letter to the, uh, the church at Ephesus. And he's basically warning them. He's saying, now you need to be ready because you are in a battle. He says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now notice what he says next. This is really important. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, how does the enemy attack us? How does he do it? And by the way, when I say the enemy, I mean the demons, the spirits, the forces that he just talked about. How, does, how do they do it? How do, how do they attack you? Well, they don't attack you in a sense where they come out and they go, Hi, I'm a demon. I'm here to attack you. I'm here to make your life miserable. It doesn't work that way. What it works like is this. You have a coworker who is very kind of antagonistic towards you. You've not probably done anything, but they're antagonistic towards you. You have a family member who is, you get into arguments very easily with that person. They're hard to live with. They're difficult. You say, well, why is that? Because there is a demon influence. There's a demonic influence. There's principalities and there's powers. They are not, they are able to, influence the people around you that is going on so sometimes you're in an argument with somebody and you think this is just an interpersonal human argument and paul says many times you're struggling you think you're struggling against flesh and blood and you're not there's a spiritual dimension that's going on and you have to be aware of that you need to put the whole armor of god you need, in other words there are times this ha- this is this has probably happened to your life. It's happened in mine, I'll admit it. Where I'm in the middle of a, a, an argument or something like that, and there's, a, there's something about that's, what's going on around me, and I go, and, there's an influence around me that is pushing me in a bad direction right now. And i got to stop. And i got to look to the Lord and say, God, this, this attitude, Paul calls it the fruit of the flesh, Right? It's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the flesh. And the enemy's, 
I just want you to know that sometimes this argument, it seems like it's personally just a human, you know, butting ahead sometimes. There's a spiritual dimension oftentimes that's going on behind that. And you just need to be aware of it because it's not just affecting them. It can be affecting you. And you need to be aware of it. Some of you are here this weekend and you're bitter. You're angry. If I were to mention a name, you would just like, boom, you'd go off. And you say, well, where did that come from? There's an enemy who wants you to be bitter. There's an enemy that wants you to be angry at people. There's an enemy that wants you to be dis, you know, discouraged and down. And, and if, whatever that enemy can do can, to, to bring it down, he will do it. All I'm saying is this, that we live in a world where we see the physical and we don't see the spiritual, but the spiritual is just as real as the physical. And the spiritual has an effect on the physical. And if you don't see that, you're not seeing reality. That's what Paul says. And Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to be under attack. And what, the en- what I find the enemy does, here's what he does. Here's what he's going to do. Every year he does the same thing. We have Easter services. We put a lot of energy and a lot of time into it. Many times we see a lot of people turn, make decisions for Christ on Easter weekend. Things generally go well. And you know what happens right after that? There's complaining, there's, there's issues, there's, they may not be big things, but there's little, little things that kind of take the joy out of the weekend. Because you know what the enemy wants to do? He says, well, I can't take the victory, but I can try to take the joy. I can try to take the victory. I can try to make you focus on these little piddly things and get discouraged. And so I always tell the staff and I always tell people who are volunteering, be, be ready, pray a lot before we go into Easter weekend because we're doing a spiritual battle on Easter weekend. We have an opportunity to reach people we haven't reached in a long time. And uh, we have an opportunity to have hearts turned and the enemy wants to, to win that battle. So I know I've gotten into this a little deep and, and the reason I want you to see that is that there is, there is a spiritual battle going on. We need to be aware of it. It is absolutely happening around you. So when you, when you are in the midst of a, a feeling of frustration or discouragement or things along those lines, understand that one of the things you need to do is you need to get on your knees before God and you need to pray. And you need to say, God, I'm in the middle of a battle here and I need to put the whole armor of God on. And maybe you need to take the word of God out and you need to get reassured by God about if you're struggling with fear, read some verses about how God is going to take care of you. If you're struggling with his provision, read about Matthew where he says, I'll take care of you. If you're struggling with, with bitterness, uh, talk, you know, read some scriptures about how you've been freely forgiven. You know, that'll help you. Anyway, uh, I just want you to see that that, 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 is, that is going on. There's an unseen world. There's a battle going on. And Jesus says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And, and so the parable is that there's some that went so far to kill the messengers and and what does jesus say he says well the master of the festival goes and takes care of it one day the enemy will be taken care of but not yet not yet well there's a third group some gladly accept the invitation so after the first group (laughs) you know finds other reasons and other things to do and after the the other ones abuse the messengers um there's the third group. So he says, well, I have the banquet is ready. The feast is ready. The festival is ready. Go out the highways and byways and bring everyone in. <laughs> bring them all in. And so they come. 
And these are the people. And the Pharisees would call these people the sinners and the tax collectors. They're not righteous people. They're not generally good people. But they're people. <laughs> and, and Jesus, one of the hits he took from the, the religious leaders was he eats and drinks with sinners, tax collectors. And so they're the ones that are invited, right? And they come into the banquet. Uh, they're not good people deserving salvation. They just received the invitation and they don't know any better than to come to the banquet. So they come to the banquet. I love this passage because what it tells me is that there's an invitation out. And you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be of the right color or the right class. You are invited to the banquet. You can come as you are. And that's what they did. They came as they were. They came to the banquet. And what this says is that Jesus, and you read through this in the book of Acts, you see this really played out, that not only did Jesus invite the Jews, his people, to the banquet, but he invited the Gentiles. And he invited sinners. And he invited lost people to the banquet. I like how Paul puts it. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1. God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things that despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Here, here's the thing I want you to see about this. What, what he's saying about the kingdom, what he's saying about the banquet, is that the invitation goes out, and it's a gracious invitation. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It is graciously given out. It, 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 it's a free invitation and all, it, all you have to do is merely receive it. Now, you don't deserve to be at the banquet. You don't save up and earn enough to get to the banquet. The invitation comes out. And by His mercy and by His grace, you are invited in. Now, the, the people at the banquet, can you imagine this? If you were kind of like really, really poor. And you never had been to the banquet like this. And you come in and it's like, Beyond your description, you, you can't even imagine that you are so fortunate to be invited to this banquet. You walk in and the food is unbelievable and it's the, 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 the beauty of the room, the beauty of the event is just beyond your... Uh, and the people are amazed that they were invited. They're amazed at the food, the beauty of the things. Things that they don't deserve, they marvel at it. They just can't get over. They were invited to such a beautiful banquet. And they're supremely thankful that they were invited. Let me ask you a question. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ and he came into your life and he began to set you free. Don't you wake up every day and just say, how amazing is it that you came into my life? That you invited me to the banquet. That you set me free. That you gave me life. How amazing is that? Eternal life and life abundantly right here and now. How amazing is that? To bask in the glory of the banquet. 
and to look forward to a, a, an ultimate wedding feast of the Lamb banquet. Jesus said this about that. This is John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me. And I will never reject them. There's many of you that are here this weekend. You're at the Rorschach campus this weekend. You're watching online. And the invitation, you've heard the invitation. You receive the invitation. And you're part of the banquet. You know you're part of the banquet. You've received the banquet. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you freely. And you are just beyond joy and happiness that you're part of the banquet of God. We hear his voice. We hear him. And then the last thing he says, and I will never reject you. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for us. And if he would give his life for us, how would he ever reject us? Well, there's the last group. So, first group, the invitation went out. They had a pre-invitation. Then finally, the final invitation. And they're too busy. They kind of make light of it. It's, it's a little thing. It's a minor thing. It's a put-off thing. The second group is, are people who not only didn't uh, accept the invitation, but they, they basically beat up the messengers and hated the, 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 the one who was throwing the banquet. And then the third group are the ones in the highways and the byways, the lost, the, the, the forgotten, the marginalized, the ones that nobody thought much of, but God did. And they're invited, and they bask in the glory of the banquet. They love the banquet. They love the, the, the one who's throwing the banquet. They hear his voice, and they marvel that he would call them. And then finally, there are some, and it's very interesting because it's kind of almost in passing. You think, well, that's the end of the story, and they lived happily ever after. But there's one other person. A man who comes ill-dressed. Now, there's commentators, and I read through a lot of them, that says that at these banquets, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the person who was over the banquet, the one who sent the invitations out, would have proper dress for everyone. And that may be so. I don't want to make that big of a point of it. The point is, he is, uh, he is addressed by the, the chairman of the banquet. He is addressed by him, and he says, what are you doing here? And it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that he doesn't belong there. He thinks he belongs, but he doesn't belong there. And you, you say, well, who is this? Who would this be in Jesus' day? And the answer, I think, is it's those people who played like they were part of the banquet, but they were found out. They were the imposters. Well, we know there was at least one imposter around Jesus, right? Who is he? Judas, right? Judas basically sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, right? He walked with Jesus. He probably carried the money. He was a trust. I mean, he was undercover, right? He was like there. He was right in the midst of it. If you had asked any of the disciples, well, they did. They said, well, Jesus, well, one of you is going to betray me. And they, who? It wasn't like everybody looked at Judas as, well, it's got to be him. 
You know how you have somebody in the group and you go, well, somebody's stealing things and everybody in the group knows who it is. Yeah, it's, it's Jack. Yeah, it's definitely Jack. No, it wasn't that. It was like, you know, <laughs> John, Peter and John, is it me? Did I do it? Am I going to do it? And Jesus, Jesus knew who it was, but they didn't know who it was. So he was deep undercover. I mean, and then it came out. And I'm sure they were shocked by it. But he wasn't wearing the right, the right clothing. Now, I talked a little bit about this last weekend when I talked about the wheat and the, and, uh, uh, and the weeds. So you can go and look online for that. But what I'm saying here is that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to try to come to the festival. They're going to try to come to the banquet. And, and they're going to be found out. Because the master of the banquet is going to confront them. And he's going to say to them, I don't know you. Why are you here? Why do you think you should be here? So, they're weeds. They're imposters. They look like the real thing. They're, they're good people. They're religious people. And, and, and maybe you're, you're here this weekend and, or you're listening online or you're, and, and you're one of those people that you're kind of trying to fit in. You're trying to be like undercover and, and hoping nobody sees where you're really at. But you've never really made that, that commitment to Christ for one reason or another. You've never done that. And uh, don't know why, but you just haven't. Um, but there, many times you're only there for what Jesus can give you. You're not there because you want to be with Jesus. It's because you want what he can do for you. But one day, that's all going to be exposed for everyone to see. Because why? They're not wearing the right dress. They're not wearing the right dress. Now, I found an interesting verse in Isaiah. So uh, you might want to look this verse up. Look it up later. I'll read it to you now. Isaiah 61, 10, it says this. I am overwhelmed with, a joy, uh, with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. I am like the bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. So it's very interesting here that there's going to be some form of mark, covering, dressing that will distinguish his followers from the fakes. Will you be found out as a fake? The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I've, I think that really what it comes down to is this. You're either trusting in your own goodness and behavior. Or you're trusting in Jesus Christ and his finished sacrifice on the cross for you. So which is it? Which is it? Because one day it's going to be very apparent. Are you covered in the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb? Or are you not? Are you wearing the robe of His righteousness, not your own? See, I think that's the problem. I think there are many people who are going to be wearing the robe of their own righteousness. And it's going to look pretty black. It's going to look pretty out of place. But then those that know him, the children of the Lamb, will be clothed in his righteousness. It will be very apparent they belong to the Lamb of God. So where are you at? So who do you identify with? Do you identify with the first group? 
You're too busy for Jesus. Maybe someday, one day. Maybe you're hostile for Jesus and you, you, you basically are at a place where you say, you know what, um, I tried to trust in Jesus. I tried religion. It didn't work. I prayed for God to do this and he didn't do it, so I'm done with him. I want to just ask you a question. Again, if you did that, you probably were basically saying, Jesus, I want you for what you can give me, not to be with you. That's a whole other issue. But let's just say it's all true. Let's just say that when you come to Jesus, he forgives you your sin. He gives you life eternal. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you begin to find your place in the universe and you find your life and you find hope and joy and peace. And he's preparing a place for you that's perfect. And what if that's all true? Wouldn't you want that to be true? I mean, what's the other option? The other option is that it, none of it's true. You live and you die and you're done. Which one brings you hope? Which one, when you get up every day, you, you get up every day with your head held high, knowing, yes, you are a sinner, but you're a, a beloved son or daughter invited to the banquet, clothed in his righteousness. Maybe you're here and you're putting on a show. You're playing the game. Now, your deception is going to be revealed one day. So it's best to stop, drop the game Drop your charade and join the party and come into the banquet. I love the, the, the thing is, come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. That's the invitation. Come to the banquet. And, and I just want to say that no matter where you are at, no matter what you have done, you can come to the banquet right now, today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to try to do better. Don't have to turn a new leaf over. You just come as you are with your mess and you say, I need help. I need a savior because I'm a sinner and I want to come to the banquet. I've heard the invitation and I want to give my life to you, Jesus. If you do that, you will begin uh, a new life and you will be part of the invitation. See, what is going on right now in your midst is the invitation is being reissued. Right now, I'm reissuing the invitation. The invitation is going out to you right now. And you are going to decide whether you're go- you want to be at the banquet or not. You're all invited. Don't make excuses and don't put it off. Give your life to Jesus today. And you will be part of the banquet. One that begins today. And one that it will, Jesus says, I will not, we go to the communion table, Jesus, I will not drink of the wine again until I do it anew in my Father's kingdom at, I think he's referring to, the banquet. Will you be there? I hope so. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, we don't deserve to be invited to the banquet, but we are. I believe that people in this room are invited to the banquet and it's really up to us whether we decide that we're going to heed the call. And it may be as simple as this. Jesus, I realize that the invitation has gone out this weekend to me through the message, through your word. I've heard it and I want to be at the banquet. 
realize I'm a sinner and I'm lost and I need a savior. And I realize the invitation has gone to the highways and byways and it found my ears right now. And I am a sinner who needs a savior. And I've got to stop trying to clothe myself with my own righteousness and clothe myself in the righteousness of God, your righteousness. And I ask you to come into my life. You gave your life to me, now I give my life to you. Clothe me with your righteousness. Give me new life. Give me a new heart. Change my life, O oh Lord. Father, for those that prayed a prayer like that, I pray that they'd let someone they, they know, that they, that they made, that they prayed to receive Jesus as Savior. I pray that they would uh, take steps Maybe talk to me or, or another Christian they know and say, how do I begin to walk with Jesus now that I've decided to follow him? How can I keep in step with it? And Father, for the rest of us who may have prayed that prayer a while ago or maybe even recently, help us to just bask in the glory of the banquet. Help us to understand there's a spiritual battle going on. And not forget that uh, the people around us are not our enemies. They may be empowered by our enemy, but they are not our enemies. They are prisoners. They are held hostage. They need to be set free. So may we see them as they are. And may we see this world as it is. And may we be alert to the spiritual battle all around us. Father, we look forward to that final wedding feast of the Lamb banquet where the invitation has gone out to the highways and byways and all the sinners come to the banquet and we revel in it and we find joy in it. We are amazed by it and we thank you for it that we can experience the banquet in a little part now but in a full measure one day for that we are so grateful we are so thankful we praise you and thank you in jesus name amen